Welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, excited to catch up with my friend Lewis Cusack from down south here. It's been quite a while since I talked to you. You've been running all over the country just like everybody else this fall, huh, Lewis? How you been? Yeah, buddy. I've been doing pretty good. Like like I was telling you earlier, just getting caught up on all the things you you have to do when you come back from being gone for a long time. You know, you got you get gear to clean up, and you got... You know, stuff to get caught up around the house, and then, you know, if you're lucky, you got meat to put away, and, uh, you know, we've been lucky, so kind of had all of that stuff to do, and kind of getting to the point to where I'm starting to pack gear and head out for another trip. Yeah, man, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm horrible at getting caught up after I get back from a trip. I'm still trying to get caught up from August and early September. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm kind of the same way, you know, you get caught up on the stuff you want to get caught up on, and then a lot of stuff that you should get caught up on, well, you know, maybe it gets done, maybe it don't, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it seems like, especially, you know, here before we really roll in, get rolled into winter, which is starting now, I mean, it's just a just a mad rush to try and get everything you want to get done, and I don't know, I tend to put off put off a lot of st- stuff till later, my shop's not exactly clean and neatly organized at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of the same boat, and I got some extra stress in my life right now. So, uh, oh yeah, what's going yeah, on there? Yeah, buddy. My, well, you know, a buddy might call me up yesterday. Ruth and I drew these uh, South Dakota deer tags. Uh, any deer tags, but we're focusing on mule deer because they've got some really good mule deer in there. Buddy of mine called me up and told me that, you know, they're pretty much kicking in. They're starting to chase pretty hard, you know. <laughs> Here you are, with 15 more days, you know, left before you, you get to start hunting again. And, you know, that can be pretty stressful, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Thinking, thinking, oh, I need to just go get on a plane right now and go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I wish I could because, uh, you know, pheasant season's open there, bow season's open, and there's all kinds of stuff you could hunt if you were there, you know. But then again, you know, Bill's got to get paid, so. Yeah, it's, I know all about that. And, you know, speaking stuff like that, hunt while you're there, yet, I mean, I I think I'd, I don't know if I'd talked to you since I've been back, got back from South Africa a few days ago or not, but, man, it was, uh, yeah, talk about a, hunt it while you're there i mean it was, it was a pretty incredible trip and i know you've been over you've been over there a few times haven't you yeah yeah i've been over there uh i actually been over there twice and i've been i've been on three hunts while i was there because the first time i went we went to namibia and hunted for a week and then uh we went over to zimbabwe and hunted for uh for 14 days and it, it just all kind of worked out we, we were already going to zimbabwe and uh and then ruth won that uh polish proist uh Hunters of the Year Award, and it was included a trip to Namibia, so we were able to just, and she wanted just before we bought tickets, we were able to just kind of jam it all up into, into one big trip, two separate hunts, so that oh, was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, still, and it's funny, you know, podcast-wise, I'm still trying to trying to get, it's like herding chickens trying to get all my buddies, you know, in one place at the same time so we can all kind of catch up on our falls and don't want to spoil it too much, but man, I I don't know about your experiences over in Africa, but mine was very limited, and I had about only really about four days of hunting. But it was some of the most fun I've had in a long time. Yeah, it, you know, it's it, well, a lot of folks don't realize it. You know, I mean, you, you, for me, you earn those opportunities, right? I mean, you yeah. and I, you know, you know, we, we've been blown off a few mountains, and you know, watched our tent disappear, and you know, yeah. 
waited in the rain, and, and you know, and you know, just just to go on one that's easy, you know, it, there's nothing to be ashamed about that. And you know what? It's a heck of a lot of fun not to have to worry about everything else and just hunt. You know. Oh yeah, I mean, and that's like the. I mean, the way I would say it. You know, technically speaking, it was it, it was a much easier hunt than like a float hunt for moose or, or yeah. you know, a, a sheep hunt. But who cares? <laughs> who cares? Ultimately, you know, I mean, it's not like the animals don't just stand there and let you blast them. You know, you still got you got to hunt. But you know, yeah. logistically wise, it's like a more laid back, just more like pure fun hunt. I I mean, I couldn't get enough of it. I was having the time of my life. Well, you know, it was like it was like hunting. It was to me, it was kind of like hunting. You know, some of the smaller game that I hunted when I was a kid. You know, it, it was yeah. fun. It was exciting. There was a lot of action and stuff. Only with big stuff. You know what I mean? It, oh yeah. And you know, I I still enjoy hunting cottontail rabbits or snowshoes and stuff like that. You know, I you know I I stopped having to prove stuff a long time ago. So I'm, I'm perfectly happy taking it easy one and uh, you know, and I have a lot of fun just being out there doing stuff and. You know, I've got to the point where you know I'm just as happy to see somebody else shoot as me. You know. Oh yeah, and I got I got to see plenty of that too. I mean, it was I I don't know, just the experience of it was was like the trophy of the whole thing. It was just cool getting to go see new stuff yeah, and do new stuff that I wasn't just busting my like just killing myself trying to do. Not all hunting has to be a contest of are you you know are you tough or not. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I don't get it. You know, if, you know, if you if you got to prove something, you got to prove something. But you know what? You know, hunting really isn't supposed to be about proving something. It's about being an experience. You know, and oh yeah, and not all experiences are the same. And you know, I you know I follow you, and I I saw what you were doing. You were in Africa, man. You were picking up the turtles and the snakes, and yeah, you know, you different people and enjoying different cultures. You know, you seen the sunrise and set in a different way. You know, you hear noises you never heard before. I mean, all that stuff is, you know, it's cool stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the more I, I mean, it's such a, it was able to do a lot in a short amount of time, but all it did was open up new doors, like, you know, stuff I'd never thought of doing. Now I kind of want to go try and do. Yeah. You know, I like, one one of the things that kind of got me a little bit is I I had a bush buck when I was down there. Uh, this last time, you know, back in, I think it was March when we went down. Yeah. You know, and, and hunting the bushbuck was a lot like hunting uh, hunting whitetail here, you know, in the States. You know, you, you know, you're in the evening, you're hunting on the edge of these uh, alfalfa fields and places along the river bottoms and stuff. And, they, you know, you're trying to catch them coming out of the river bottoms in the morning and stuff. And, yeah. You know, it all felt just like a whitetail hunt for me until I shot my bushbuck. And... I shot him right on kind of the edge of a little bluff, and and I, you know, I heart shot him, but he had just enough adrenaline. You know, this the African animals maybe because they're scared all the time and running all the time, but they don't just drop. You know? No, no. You shoot a moose that same spot, they drop like a stone. But man, everything they shoot, they run a little bit. You know. Yeah. And 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 he went straight down this little bluff. You know. And its front end was down, and its back legs were plowing like you see, like like you see a lot of animals when you shoot them hard, and they've got that adrenaline fired up, you know. Yeah, like a mountain goat. And he or went something. down. Yeah, and he went down in the brush, you know, and uh, and the pH picks a spear up out of the back of the truck. I'm thinking, spear? What's the spear <laughs> for? You know, 
was like, okay, this is where it changes from being a whitetail hunt. And what it was is that the, the bushbuck, you know, they got real dense, uh, real sharp tip horns, and I, I guess they're really bad about, you know, dropping the head and charging. I've heard that. It's and they were they were talking about that because yeah. they look like a little niala almost, right? Yeah, they're beautiful animals. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> It's awesome. He picked up this little short spear, and it was just for that. When we went into the brush, it was, uh, you know, in case in case the bush buck ran as he could just stick it in front of him and stop it. You know, like, wow, that's cool. Gonna <laughs> yeah. need it, nobody. And uh, no, it's funny because it, it just went down and it and it went down in this. It just went straight down and hit this little canal like river they had, and it was about the the river right along the edge of the bank was ten to twelve feet deep. Yeah, and uh, it had. It had crocodiles in it, and Ruth actually spotted it just barely sticking up, and it hung up in the bamboo, and it was lucky enough we were able to just reach down there and get it and pull it out. Oh, nice. You know, we weren't looking looking forward to going in with those crocs to try to pull that thing out, but yeah. we didn't have to. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's it was just crazy. And I'll, you know, probably another episode I'll get into the whole, like, kind of walk through my whole trip, but it, it was so much fun, and, yeah, I mean... It sounds a little corny to say it, like, really changed a lot of my perspectives. But, I mean, you know, all the op- the cool opportunities we have up here, we can get very easily get so tied into just focusing on what we can do here. And, and you know, I'd be totally happy just doing the hunting we have here. But there is also a lot of very fun, very cool opportunities out there, <clears throat> out there in the rest of the world, too. So I was... I, yeah, you know, and... When an opportunity knocks, you're kind of a fool not to take advantage of it, too. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, yeah. It know, was... It's just like, just drop the tip off your shoulder and go hunting, you know? Yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> Forget about all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, if you ever get, like, the one thing in South Africa, like most of the places I hunted, you know, we didn't end up doing a lot of tracking, you know, where you get on a track and you track an animal until you yeah. shoot it, right? Yeah, we did a lot of that in Zimbabwe, and I, and I tell you one experience that I think every hunter has the experience in their life is is to hunt with some of them, uh, you know, Zimbabwe or you know some of the, some of the, you know the real bush bushman hunter yeah. type trackers, you know those, those guys are, you can't explain it, and it's it's such a unique opportunity to hunt with them and and watch them work, especially if you can develop a rapport with them and uh and really see what they do it, it, it's it's something truly special to see oh yeah totally but uh so, yeah but anyway, i still like calling moose. <laughs> yeah you you like calling moose uh speaking of which yeah that's you know one of the reasons i wanted to catch up with you is hear all hear all about your moose float trip of course the first thing i saw was a bunch of big old brow palms in a picture yeah <laughs> Yeah, he he was a cool old boy. Probably in a lot of ways, he you know, he wasn't the widest bull I ever shot or, or the tallest bull I ever shot, but you know, certainly by far the heaviest bull I ever shot. You know, antler wise, you know, he, he was probably two years past his prime. Yeah. No, I would have loved to see him when he was in his prime. He, he, you know, he was his whole forehead was scar tissue from fighting. You know. Oh yeah. And he, he had three drop tines on his back that were all broke up. He probably got eight or nine holes in his paddle, and you know he was just a warrior, you know. And uh, you know I called him, and you know real late one night, and he kind of got away from us, and he he went into a lake, and uh, 
you know, Ruthie kind of went back to camp, and I kind of slipped around the edge and made a couple more cow calls, and you know, here he come, and it, it was it was really late when I shot him, so we didn't really get you know the the, the great pitches that we usually get when Ruth's there hunting with me, but. You know, he was standing in the perfect spot to clean him, and uh, I couldn't pass that up. Nope. <laughs> so, like, how did how did that go? Was that was that later in your trip, earlier in your trip? Do you guys have to, I mean, how was the no, general? Was, you know, it was early in the trip. Actually, it was, uh, you know, like I told you before when we talked, you know, Ruth and I take turns on who shoots the meatball, and then we hold one tag to shoot something really special. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was my turn to shoot, shoot the meatball, and uh, the last year before last when we hunted I, I held out pretty hard on shooting the meatball and she kinda she kinda told me this year I need to <laughs> get it know, done. <laughs> not put to get it get it done. So that one came out. I was like, okay, well let I can call out a meatball. I'm gonna shoot him and I <laughs> shot him and it was probably it was probably three days into the hunt, you know. Nice. And then uh yeah, when I got up to him, you know, you could you could smell him before you got to him, you know. Getting pretty he'd been ready. pretty hard. Well, you know, and, you know, they do the whole thing with, you know, pissing and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, but, you know, from, from the most part, what I've noticed, and, you know, we shoot a lot of bulls in the rut is, you know, most of that smell stays on the outside of the skin, you know? Oh yeah. And, uh, it's not like yeah, caribou that, that are, it's not like caribou that yeah. are actually drinking the cow's piss, you know? I mean, they may do that a little bit, but. Yeah. And. But now we we skint that thing, and I don't know if you've seen that 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 post that Ruth did with those backstrap steaks she cut and that meat she's grinding up. But you know, in in, in all honesty, I ain't joking. And, you know, and the people we always donate meat to have said the same thing. It's probably one of the better eating moose we've shot in a oh, long wow. time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, in my experience, you you know, this is a lot more limited than some. But it seems like to me, a moose is a moose. You know, I mean, I've had yeah. I've had big bulls that that were, you know, nice and tender and then some that weren't, I don't know. It just seems like it's, it's a individual basis that, you know, it's not necessarily just cause you shoot a big bull doesn't mean it's going to be bum eating. You definitely get a lot more meat, but. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, that's certainly been my experience and, uh, you know, I, I've seen that with elk, you know, where, you know, you can, you can shoot some pretty ruddy tasting elk and you can shoot some pretty ruddy tasting caribou too, but I, my own personal experience is that, you know, moose is pretty consistently good meat, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, after yeah. after not killing one last year, I was, we, uh, let's see, you know, so I didn't kill one last year, and we, you know, we ran out of moose for a while ago, and my brother-in-law killed one, and I helped him cut that thing up, and we, uh, we got it hung in my garage and got my bandsaw and cut a bunch of T-bones and stuff like that, and Boy, the the drive really got really got good to kill one after I had that man. You almost almost forget how good fresh fresh moose meat tastes. Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, you, you know uh, that that muskox that Ruth shot. You know, speaking of meat and meat tasting good, is uh, you know that's some pretty tasty eating meat too. I mean, she shot a nice bull this last year, and then this last weekend we had all the kids over. She took a big roast off that muskox. Oh man. And you know, you know, you always hear how tough they are, you know. And you know, we basically cooked it on the Traeger grill, medium rare, and she sliced it real thin. And heck, it was excellent. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's the other thing. I helped, you know, went out and went out and helped my dad get one a couple, a few years back. And uh, 
that's some of the best some of the best meat I've ever had like best tasting you know you can get some tough ones but there's stuff you can do um but yeah I mean as far as especially taste and and the good steaks I mean it's there's not much wild game that I would compare to a really good beef steak but muskox is right there yeah we we shot uh that one she shot, you know, we took the back straps off of it, and we left the fat on the outside of the back strap, and yeah. cut it in the steak, and grilled it like you would in New York with the with the fat still on it. Yeah, I tell you what, man, it was it was pretty doggone tasty. So yeah, and speaking of like you, you mentioned, you guys have one of them Traeger grills. I got mine's a, a camp chef, but those same deal, those pellet grills, man. Talk about at least in my experience since i've got one talk about a good way to cook meat holy cow yeah we've we've really enjoyed us i mean you know it's it's not the same as as you know a, a true wood fire charcoal grill where you know you get all that you know you get that nice crust and stuff you know yeah. and, and and some burnt that you know gives you that yeah that real barbecue barbecued flavor but you know it it's you know, it's three steps above a gas grill and almost as simple to use as a gas grill, you know. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and uh, I mean, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I especially using it with, you know, with, since I got that, it could be more the meat thermometer thing than than the actual, actual grill itself. But, you know, started doing that and you start, you know, cooking up chunks of backstrap, you know, searing them and then just putting them on smoke till they till they hit like 140 you know and they're just like a nice perfect medium rare rare just like slicing up prime rib yeah you can't beat that you know speaking of muskox uh you know we got uh of course you know i'm doing the sci thing now yeah yeah uh, for the alaska chapter and we got a couple of pretty sweet governor's tags this year to, to auction off and uh you know, rather than doing the live auction thing and going after the guys with the big pockets, we're going to do something different this year. And, uh, you know, we're going to do some raffles and try to give everybody a chance to, to get some of these sweet tags. And, you know, one of the tags I got, you know, while we're on the subject of muskox is an Indivac Island muskox tag. Oh, nice. That's yeah, cool. I mean, and, uh, yeah, and we're going we're gonna to wrap that off next year and draw it at the state fair, but it'll be good for next fall and the following spring. For whoever draw, uh, wins the raffle, so nice, and that's not going to be like a, a need to be present to win type of thing. You just buy tickets and <laughs> forget about it, or do you have to be there? Yeah, no, I'm, I, uh, you know, we're doing some stuff where you have to be there to buy the tickets. But uh, you know, I've I've been to a few banquets where you know you had to be present to win. Yeah, and I've always found them painful. You know, and, yeah, and me personally, I don't want to ever, ever put somebody through that. You know. I, I, you know, we're going to use the, uh, I mean, we can talk about that if you want. But, yeah, sure. You know, we've got that Kodiak Island brown bear tag. That's good for the whole island except for the Sturgeon River. It's a resident-only tag. Oh, man, yeah. So we're going to do a raffle. We're going to do a raffle for it. and You know, we're going to have uh, three times when you can buy tickets. One at our Christmas party, which is December 7th, and then both nights at our banquet is uh, February 28th and 29th. You'll be able to buy tickets there. Oh, and nice. And we're going to draw it. We're going to draw the raffle on at the end of the banquet on the 29th, and uh, you know whoever whoever wins is uh, you know is going to get the tag and they're going to get get to hunt the whole island of Kodiak for either the fall of 2020 or the spring of 2021. But man, that's I'm awesome! I'm not going to make them. 
Yeah, and I'm not going to make them sit there while drawing a tag, yeah. <laughs> drawing a raffle. You know, I, I just to me that's painful. You know, the last thing I want to do is force somebody to sit there because they're just waiting on me to draw something when they really don't want to be there. You know, we, I want people at our banquet that truly want to be there. You know? Oh yeah, well, and and as a, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, the whole point of those is kind of as a is a tool for fundraising for conservation, and you're more likely to sell more tickets if. You know, if you're not, the odds are obviously better if you have to be there, but you're likely to raise more money if you if you don't have to be yeah. there. But, yeah, what, how'd that come about? Because that's a pretty new deal, isn't it, for, you know, basically being able to pick anywhere on Kodiak to hunt? Um, that's the first time it's ever been, a tag like this has ever been offered. It's, the, it's probably the world's best and, and only, uh, you know, all Kodiak Island brown bear tag that's ever been issued. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty. That's, you know, Al, yeah, Red Lake, Alleyulik Peninsula, you know, Carlick Lake, Fraser Lake, Zachary, all of those areas open to you. If you got that tag, you just get you to pick the area you want to hunt. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I mean, yeah, res, any any resident that's ever put in for them knows that all you know, almost all those tags are really hard to get. Um, you know, a lot of guys put in for years and years and never get them. So. I mean, it's kind of like that. I don't think you guys directly did that bison tag draw last year, that bison raffle. Yeah. Um, was that you guys directly that did that? Well, I, I what happened was that was uh, the Outdoor Heritage Foundation. That's right. And I helped them sell tickets, and then uh, and then we brought it into our summer barbecue, and we drew it at our barbecue. Yeah, that's right, and it was actually kicking myself in the ass because i had to talk about it on this podcast and uh guy seth that was he heard about it on this podcast and they bought tickets and his wife won it yeah yeah i said yeah it was a local lady from fairbanks that won it i can't yep. remember her name yeah that was pretty cool so but yeah no that's you know, that's awesome to hear that that you guys got that and are doing that because that's i mean yeah that's it's not a not a not a little deal and that's definitely a, a pretty pretty attractive item to item to to buy tickets for yeah and, and you know last year we didn't uh we did that tote management sheep tag and we you know we did live auction on it and we ended up selling it for like forty thousand bucks and uh but we didn't get that tag this year to do live auction and but we got the uh we're gonna uh, the outdoor heritage foundation uh they, they received the uh, delta junction uh tag you know the delta yeah. management tag uh we're going to probably uh, auction that off for them at a live auction, so that ought to be a lot of fun. Oh, gotcha, yeah. No, that would be fun. Yeah, but, this year would be a great year for you to bring the wife up, too, because uh, on Saturday night when we uh, we're try and close the banquet down between 9.30 and 10 o'clock, and we're going to fire up this uh, local uh, band that does a lot of openings for, uh, for big-name bands, and they're also... Uh, Planet Chukuk's pretty real. It's like a band called Nothing But Trouble, and they're a really, huh. really good band. Ought to be a heck of a party. Yeah, nice. Be a good excuse to get out of town around here. Usually by that time of year, it's getting pretty stir-crazy. What uh, that, that was in February again, you said? Yeah, it's February 28th and 29th, and it's, you know, it's right up, you know, right at the end or right in the middle of the fur rendezvous. So, it, it, you know, it's a good opportunity for... You know, folks to come in from other places in the state and kind of enjoy some of the stuff that's going on with the fur rendezvous, and uh, you know, join us at our banquet as well. So. Yeah, nice. 
Yes, what else? Yeah, uh, I was going to think, I was trying to think if there was anything else you guys, you told me about that you guys were have got going, got going this year. Any big projects or anything like that? Well, we, uh, we just started that uh, Alaska Wild Harvest initiative, and, and, and that's, uh, you know, that's a, a project that a lot of different states are doing now, and that Norway's actually put a big effort into it and seen uh, some huge benefits behind it. And it's really about, you know, collectively uh, engaging, you know, all of the younger younger guys that are, are, are now more, you know, there's, there's a group of people that just won't eat canned meats anymore. You know, yeah. they're more hunters or gatherers. Uh, they're more into organic foods. And, and, and the number of cases, you know, men and women who who traditionally would not hunt have started hunting just because of the value of having true organic meat and not having it to, to buy, you know, the hormone meat in the store. Yeah, yeah. And the Wild Harvest Initiative is is all around, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities and putting some incentive and some promotions behind it to try to get, you know, more people involved in conservation, more people involved in uh, helping to support and and manage the uh, access to public lands and and the resources that we all have available to us to hunt and stuff. So it's, you know, you anybody that's around hunting. Right? very much knows we're losing our demographics, right? You know, we're, you know, yeah. the younger guys and gals just aren't hunting like, like the guys and gals did when we were kids. You know, there's other distractions and other opportunities out there for them. So, uh, you know, this, this is an effort that a lot of states are going through in order to, uh, you know, try to get everybody who is a part of, you know, the, you know, using the outdoors and, 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 uh, and harvesting either, you know, whether it be fish, berries, roots, nuts, mushrooms, or hunting uh, involved and in, in pulling in the same direction. And it, it's got some merit. We're still trying to get it off the ground. It does, the state of Alaska is actually running the project, and we're helping to fund it. And, you know, we're kind of excited to, to, to see what that will do for us. Nice. So, and you know, and it, there's a couple of projects that we're, we're trying to get off the ground and work with the state of Alaska on. And, you know, I think I talked about it last time. Um, you know, we did a podcast about, you know, maybe trying to, you know, work with the Alaska Department of Fish and Game to see if we can fund a study on Kodiak, particularly on the South Island around, you know, you know what's the impact versus on nannies versus kids. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, I know that's been know, a big, kind of been a big source of concern for some you know it's a balance like the feds are concerned about those goats kind of overrunning their habitat and then and then yeah. you know fishing game also doesn't want them to to, to overrun it because then if they crash they're going to get blamed for it so yeah yeah you know i mean I've, you know you hear a lot of guys talk about oh well are we you know because they're traditionally you just target the billies and you know it's like you know i've heard guys wonder like oh is 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 it getting so out of control just because we've been hitting the billies so hard and leaving the nannies alone? I don't know, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, the difficult part is, and, and this is what I would, you know, have some energy behind seeing a study on is just that, you know, if you think about it, usually when you do see a nanny, it's never just a nanny, right? With yeah. A kid, yeah. It's usually three or four nannies, right? Yep. And if you got three or four nannies there and three kids, it's almost impossible to tell 
which one of those nannies those kids belong to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the numbers are there. You could cheat one of them if you knew which one of them didn't have a kid, right? Yep. But the simple fact of the matter is, you know, try figuring that out, you know. Yeah, it can be, it real, it can be really tough. Yeah, and uh, so... You know, there there is there are some biologists a little bit, and then you know, is starting to talk about whether a kid actually belongs to a specific nanny or if they're part of a family group. You know. Yeah, cause you would think once they've been weaned, you know, it's not that big a deal, and maybe it would only come into play like, you know, after January, say, like in the, you know that that last month or two of the season. You know, it's like those goats are rapidly approaching a year old. Like they're weaned, they're gonna yeah. you know if they're gonna make it they're gonna make it yeah yeah so you know taking the emo- uh, you taking know, the emotion out of it anyway <laughs> yeah so so i mean that you know and, and that's what the study would be based on is you know how how can we how can we be more proactive about harvest the nannies with you know with with and and have a regulation in place that's going to ensure that we don't overshoot them where we've got kids running out there that you know basically don't they can't survive, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if, if they truly are part of a family group and you got three kids there, then, I mean, theoretically, if you shot one of the names, it wouldn't hurt anything. Yeah. And, it, and it, you know, more than likely would help. Um, so, anyway, that's, uh, you know, how do you get your head around that? How do you get a study yeah. on that is, is something we'd be pretty interested in. You know, I personally would be interested in, in and see and move forward because you know I've spent a lot of time on Kodiak cutting mountain goats and you know I've watched a lot of nannies and you know very seldom if I had, had an opportunity to shoot one that I knew for a fact 100% was by itself. Yeah, yeah, that can be really tricky. And I mean, I would think it would almost take a study like that to convince a lot of people because I mean that yeah, a lot of hunters just the way you're. The, you know it's kind of all in our head but the way you're brought up is is you don't shoot you don't shoot women with kids you know as for you know whether yeah. it's whether it's caribou or moose or whatever you just don't do it it's not not acceptable in the way we've been brought up but you know if if you know they can it might it might help kind of help that become more acceptable if you know if they can show that hey you know these these kids at least at a certain point are going to be just fine if if even if you shoot the nanny that had them because um, yeah i mean they, they've made it pretty clear that that they need to take more nannies they've been trying to get more and more nannies taken um and they're i mean they're great to eat you know not not that the billies are necessarily bad but but the nannies definitely they're a little easier to deal with and they're no, a little bit better meat, at least in my limited experience. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's a mental thing for me too. It's tough for me to shoot an nanny. You know, to be honest about it, I, I uh, you know, I keep saying I'm going to do it. And it was a couple of years ago. I, you know, I had a you know a huge bear in nanny standing right in front of me. Probably the roof probably took a hundred pictures up, and I just couldn't couldn't make myself shoot her. Yeah. You know, and. and uh, but you know, it was other reasons that I was trying to get Ruth a Billy, and yep. you know, if I'd have shot that nanny, then I'd have been skinning and packing nanny instead of trying to find her a Billy. So, yeah. if we'd already had her 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 goat down, I would have shot it. But, well, and that plays okay. in that plays into it a lot too, because guy, you know, even you know, people, you know, they've talked about making oh well, you know, two goats, but one of them has to be a nanny and. A lot of to- a lot of times, especially those late hunts. I mean, you can get two goats pretty reasonably, but uh, you know they've talked about upping it to three. But 
you know a lot of guys you know they're not they don't want to you and it's natural if you want you want to get at least one big billy you know you're gonna spend your time chasing that it's like shooting a big caribou when you're on a sheep hunt you're gonna ruin your sheep hunt so you don't do it yeah exactly and you know you know it's like but you know i talked to to, uh the fishing game about that a little bit on kodiak and uh you know i you know i mentioned that you know hey we ought to you know maybe go to some of this like some state with with whitetail where you know you have to shoot a you have to shoot a doe before you can shoot a buck you know yeah and we could go to you have to shoot an name before you shoot a billy and at least at that time and it's been quite a while when i talked to the biologist he, he he said that you know that a lot of folks can't tell the difference, and they still get the quote and nannies that they want shot. Yeah, uh, you know, you know. Anyway, so I, and I forget what the number was. It was a higher number than I imagined uh, when he told me what the harvest statistics were. Yeah, I don't think on the south end they've ever met their quota. Yeah, well, the last the, the last few years it's kind of gotten out of control. You know where? Yeah. How many you shoot, you know, unless you really shoot a pile of them, you're still not going to be anywhere near where you want to be, you know. Yeah, it's, it's you know, when you're talking a tough critter to hunt and recovery, you know, I mean, it's it's tough to kill a lot of them, man, you know, in, in spots that you can get to them all and, and salvage everything responsibly, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, you know, I, I don't know what, what you're experiencing. Been, but you know, I you know I won't say where it was. I mean, you and I have hunted the same spot before. Hunting yeah. Mountain goats. And, you know, in that country, you know, I've had lots of opportunities to shoot two goats. You know, back when I was hunting hard, you couldn't. Yeah. But even if it would have, you know, you walk away from that from a goat in that country, you're you're not going to have a goat when you get back the next day. I mean, you know, I I don't know if you, a number of years ago I filmed a a, a show with a lot of outdoor television hunting mountain goats and. You know, in, in that show, we I call it the gun sight on that knife blade ridge. Yeah, I know. know. I've been and standing in the exact spot you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah, it's kind of a self-explanatory spot. And I actually uh, ran a bear off that was following us up that gun sight right after we shot, you know, coming Jeez. to the goat. We, you know, and it was like just a couple of minutes. And, and cool old bear, I, I kind of just, just shot in front of him, and he... He just went on the other side of the hill and laid down. Right? Yeah. And when we come packing the goats down, he he picked up, and I looked over my shoulder, and and he was going right up the trail after we left, and kind of looking back at me like, "Hey, thanks for the meat, buddy." Yeah. But in that country, you know, you, it, if you leave it, it won't be there when you come back, and you know, you know, unless you're, uh, you know. Super packer, you know, packing two goats out at once ain't going to happen. No, yeah, especially you know the big bill, you know, some of them big billies, you know, like a guy could pack out, could pack out a whole nanny's worth of meat in the hide in one deal. It'd be pretty heavy, but them big billies, yeah. they get pretty big. <laughs> yeah, they do. They're a lot bigger than people think they yeah, are. Some of those nannies are huge too. Yeah, yeah, way bigger than a sheep. Yeah, but. Yeah, anyway, I was going to ask, I meant to ask you earlier, I guess before we get too too off in the weeds, uh, moose hunting this year, did you notice any, uh, like, how how was it looking for rut activity? I mean, early September, I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be just bonkers, and it was definitely better than last year. Um, but, I mean, we were hearing cows, like, the, in the first five days of September. Well, 
you know, we always hunt late, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, we don't. We go in late, and and this year we went in, and it, you know, it was on when we got there. You know, but it's cold. Yeah. And um, the full moon hadn't quite kicked in yet, and and we've seen all kinds of action. In fact, you know, it was cold enough where we were thinking, okay, this is the this is the first year in a while where we had to leave early. Oh. Uh, because uh, because the river was freezing up, and then it warmed up. Oh. You know, got you know, got close to you know, mid forties, and I think a couple of days got close to fifty, and you know, we were into that full moon phase and. It seemed fairly well shut down, and you know we weren't having the same level of action. And, and uh, but and then probably the last couple of days it cooled off again, and it just it just seemed like it came back in. And of course the moon was you know going to a new moon by then. And uh, but yeah, it it, it 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 seemed like it was hit and miss. Like we first got there, you know, mid September, and we had a lot of action, and then it got warm, got a little rainy, and. Uh, you know, went in the full moon phase, and it just seemed like things kind of shut down a bit. And then towards the end, it just cooled off again, and you know, started getting into that new moon, and uh, yeah, things really turned back on. So, yeah, and it's it's interesting. You wonder sometimes when seem things seem like they're not happening. You know, like last year, you know, it seemed like it was just it was doing rolling really good and then it shut up, you know, just shut down for a few days. You wonder how much of that stuff's going on and just going on at night. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if you ever seen that picture that Ruth took. There's, there's a, there's a picture to get, you know, a lot of people have seen it and get talked about quite a bit where she took a, you know, a timeline shot of our tent, uh, with a bunch of Northern lights out. Yeah. It's yeah. a really cool picture. And, and uh, that night, when we were there, and those northern lights came out, it was, you know, it was a new, and it was really, really cold. When those lights came out, it was the craziest thing you ever heard. And it freaking bulls kicked in, cows started calling. I'd never seen anything like it, but, wow. you know, it was like dead quiet. And when the lights came, came, the northern lights came out, and, you know, things started getting kind of crazy, and, you know, <laughs> that. Everybody got in the mood, man. It, 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 you know, probably had, I don't know, seven or eight cows and, and half as many bulls getting all calling at the same time. It, it was one, one practical night, for lack of better ways. Yeah, maybe it, uh, maybe it, maybe it does the same thing on moose as it does to some of those, those tourists that come here in the winter for that, that yeah. particular reason. Yeah, it must have. It's the craziest thing I ever saw, but yeah, you know, and, and I think a lot of stuff does happen in like, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know, a lot of people don't hunt the moon for moose like, like they do other animals in the lower 48, like whitetail and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I'm kind of a believer that, you know, the moon affects the moon affects the movement quite a bit, even on moose. So. Yeah, and I hadn't even thought about the, the northern lights, how they might affect it, too. You know, you think, you know, because they can really light up the sky. I mean, and... And your average time, a lot of times that they're that they're very active is like two, three o'clock in the morning when you're long passed out, you know. Yeah. And yeah, they, I mean, like we've literally had one one moose we killed at last light while they're running around and butcher dragging him out of the river and butchering him. You know, it was it was a it was like two o'clock in the morning ride back to camp, and you know that's one of the most brilliant like. Some of the most brilliant northern lights I've ever seen is in September, like two o'clock in the morning, literally lit up the river enough for us to safely 
run back to camp. And so, yeah, I mean, you bring that up, I mean, kind of kind of casually, but that could have, who knows what kind of effect that could have on, on the rut, rutting activities. Yeah, and, you know, we uh, we locked up, uh, you know, with this little river on it. You know, where we hunt out, we, you know, you, you, the more you hunt a place, the, the better you get to know it, and the yeah. more you get to know it, the easier it gets, right? And, yeah. And, you know, the the first year we kind of stumbled in two really sweet spots where it just it's just like a corridor, you know. You got a you know you got a river and you got two two or three lakes there, and it, you know we set up camp where it's just where the moose naturally walk, you know, when they when they're going around those lakes and kind of skirting that river. And uh, yep, man, when when they're walking, they're, they're they're coming right into the tent, you know. Yeah, and then. Uh, and we have another spot that you know very similar to that that we stopped, and uh, you know it's got like a little ridge that sits right behind the tent, and you know, and you know in that country you don't need much elevation; you get thirty foot elevation, and you can see the world, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, it's literally right out the tent door. We can pour a cup of coffee and run up on that ridge and do a little column and do a little glass, and then heck, if you if you get cold or you more, need more coffee, you can run back down to the tent. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's a pretty sweet little setup. I mean, particularly for, you know, Ruth and I, the two of us, you know, trying to shoot two moose, you know, it, it, we got to put them in the right spot to, to make it easy for us. And, you know, we, we, and, and then this year we discovered another little place. We've got like three spots where we can set up and it's pretty much right in the corridor. You know, they're coming. If they start walking, you don't, you don't, you don't even have to worry about moving, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, no, that's 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 a very valuable thing. I mean, uh, you know, every year people make the mistake and not not thinking about where that moose is going to end up when they pull the trigger. Yeah, and you know, I you know most most of the moose I shoot, I shoot them when they when they're in the spot where I want to clean them. Yeah, and you know, I I I did a little guiding for a friend of mine this year down on the peninsula, and I you know I went in and uh, you know did some moose calling for him and. And did some moose hunting, you know, just just before we left on our hunt, and it was, uh, you know, down on the peninsula. Yeah, that was in those spots, you know, where the, uh, you know, where the bay goes dry when the tide goes out. And yep, yep. I'll tell you what, we had the only place in that one bay to shoot a moose was really, you know, in, in you know, below the tide line. And yeah. I'll tell you what, you know, after, you know, after shooting one down there i'm sure happy to go back and hunt and shoot him where i shoot him at normally because yeah <laughs> race against the clock <laughs> well not not so much that as cleaning a moose in the mud flat, oh yeah yeah i didn't think of that Ooh, that ain't, that'd that be is, a nightmare you, you don't want to sign up for that unless you absolutely have to you know we had some tarps and stuff so and uh you know some of the things that you know you know ruth is probably you know the the most attentive person I've ever hunted with when it comes to making sure no meat gets wasted and making sure meat stays clean. Yeah. And and I've I've learned a lot from her, you know, and uh you know, just you know, just trying to, you know, heed her wishes for lack of better ways to put it, you know. But yep. uh you know, with with you know, we use a jet sled and stuff like that to drop the hind quarter and we and we do a lot with tarps to keep, you know, from getting stuff on the meat, yep. you know, and, and I tell you what, it it paid off when we were trying to clean one of that mud flat. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, that makes it really, especially you know, it's that that mud that's made of that fine silt. You know, it just gets everywhere. It seems like was it 
was yeah. it decent footing or were or were you half you know quicksand and it having to because I mean heaving around you know rolling around a big heavy moose and you you're gonna instantly get you know if you can't get a tarp under them even even then you're just I feel like you're you're gonna get mud completely over all the all the hair side anyway you know it's just yeah got to be meticulous yeah. to keep it clean. Yeah, and, it, and that, that's kind of where that jet sled comes in pretty good because you kind of wedge that jet sled up underneath that hind quarter and that front shoulder so yeah. that, you know, when you cut it off, that, that end piece actually kind of pops in the, in the air a little bit almost. And, uh, yeah. you know, that, 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 you know, the top of the hind or the top of that front shoulder never touches the dirt. You know, you drop yep. it right in the sled. And, you know, that, that truly makes a difference when you clear one of sand or mud like that. Oh yeah, well, and, and stuff like that makes a makes a huge difference in the end quality of your meat too. <laughs> yeah. No, I I remember Ruth and I floated into a little village one time, and we wanted to donate some meat. And at first, they were like, "No, nah, you know, no, it's okay. We got plenty of meat." And uh, one of the guys I knew that lived in the village, you know, he basically told them, you know, "Hey, look, you know, these guys take good care of the meat, and you know, trust me, you'll be happy with the meat." Well, they decided to take some, and they, man, they they took some of our meat, and you know, a couple hours later, showing up with fresh baked bread, and before we left, they gave us little grass baskets that they had woven and stuff, and they, you know, all of them told us, man, you guys can give us meat anytime, and they were just, they were just, you know, really pleased that they, you know, they actually had good quality meat, didn't have a bunch of dirt and leaves in it. Yeah, that's and that's, you know, you understand the reputation, and it kind of pisses you off because you know people that are. A lot of times people that either know they're going to give away a bunch of meat or they end up giving a bunch of meat because they're not careful with it and keeping it clean. Um, you know, you just don't care as much about, about the end product a lot of times it seems like. You know, donated meat that's all shot to pe- either shot to pieces and or just filthy, you know. But, you know, you, you don't necessarily, if the weather's cool, you don't have to have game bags, but... You can tell. I mean, you can you can tell people that take care of their meat and people that don't, for sure. Yeah, and, and, and you know, and when you know, you know, I don't know how much you've been involved in, but like some of the areas where I hunt, you know, there's a lot of national park areas, and you know, there's always a conflict. You know, different conflicts going on with local subsistence hunters versus local hunters versus non-residents and stuff. And yeah, you know, some. Some of the stuff that they've, you know, some of the rules they've made, it, it kind of, in, in my personal opinion, it created animosity and kind of drives some finger pointing that just truly isn't really necessary, you know. And, oh yeah, totally. And, and, and for me, you know, you know, you know, donating meat in the village and and and, and, and talking to the folks and 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 establishing a relationship with them kind of, you know, it helps kind of defuse all of that animosity. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you become you become a person when you're talking face to face. You know, you know, and a, a, a lot of people don't understand is that, like in some of these villages, they you know they have the same problem in the villages that you know that we have, you know, with a lot of families in Alaska. You know, the, the younger kids in a lot of in a lot of cases are leaving the village to go work other places. You know? Yeah, and and, and in, in many cases, there's a lot of elders. That, that you know that need meat and they, and they need food you know and uh, and you know what a lot of people don't understand is, is that you know animals in a, near a village are kind of like kind of like wood for like a better way to put it you know yeah. this stuff gets harvested 
far city, close to the village, where now you're having to go further and further away, you know, to hunt. And in those villages, you know, gas is, you know, 10, 12 bucks a gallon. And, if, you know, if you don't have a lot of money or much of an income, it's not like you can afford to jump in a boat and go burn 12, 15, 20 gallons a day trying to find a moose. No, know? yeah, you know, and or, or, you know, multiple moose to feed, because at least that's that's kind of the pressure. You know, my understanding is, you know, I mean, that's that culture is is the the younger able bodied people like that's their their responsibility is to provide food for the elders and whatnot. And if everybody's gone yeah. and leaving and no one's killing moose, you can definitely understand the need for the need for the meat. Yeah, and and I don't know if you've been into some of those little stores in those villages and stuff. Oh, yeah. but, you know, you know, people talk about how expensive things are, but. You know, not only the fact that they're expensive, but the quality of stuff that gets in those stores is, you know, typically not very high quality. No, you know, it's not, gr- not great of, at all. <laughs> a lot of frozen stuff that, you know, can be microwaved very easily and stuff because, like, you know, beef and stuff like that is just so so doggone expensive. It's, you know, a lot of people can't afford to buy it even if it was there. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, but, no, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we, we love doing it, so... Yeah, what's your guys? Yeah, what do uh, what's your guys? What do you what do you like to do with the stuff you get? You get back. You guys do most of the processing yourself. Yeah, Ruth does all the processing. (laughs) Nice. I'm just I'm just slave labor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But she loves it. You know. I mean, she she uh, she she really. get the reward out of, you know, processing her own meat and cleaning her own meat and, you know, you know, when she when she eats her own meat, you know, she she knows it's been well taken care of and stuff and it, it you know, it's probably you know, she's an Iowa girl, you know, like she care less about them antlers. She you know, she I see, you know, sixty inch bull, I'm looking for brow tines and back points. She's looking at stakes and and, and back straps, yeah. you know. And, yeah. But no. she you know, I mean she really cares about her health and and she really enjoys processing the meat. So, yeah, pretty much nothing goes to to the butcher. The only thing we typically do every now and again, we uh, we get some hunter sticks made that we really like, and for the most part, that's it. Yeah, I tell you, well, speaking of hunter sticks today, me and my buddy Frank just made eighty pounds of them. Um, we wow. just we had, I had a bunch of you know what was left over from all my black bear meat from this spring. I had when I yeah, I finally did kill my moose. I still had I had all those black that black bear quarters and parts and pieces in the freezer because at the end of the season I was gonna I was waiting to kill. I was planning on killing three, so I was at the end of the season I was gonna take it all and and, and process it. And then uh, end of the season came and went, and it sat in the freezer till I killed my moose. And while that was hanging, I figured I had to do something with black bear, so ground it all we made a bunch of sausage initially and then this just cleaned up the last of that sausage so i'm going to be be smoking bear sticks bear hunter sticks all day tomorrow but they uh even with those little those kits you can get man they turn out good yeah well you know my address right (laughs) no i i'm pretty sure you've never given it to me (laughs) well it's all right when you when you when you come down in february you can We'll have to trade some recipes. Yeah, we'll have to do something. You know, my recipe's easy. It's just the the kit at this point. I'm still kind of a novice at it, but I can already tell I don't really feel like paying anyone to make my own to make make my sausage anymore. And 
you know, since I, I I mentioned it about 50 times on the podcast, but my, I, I don't know if I told you, I got my, so you're going to hear about it. I got my, uh, inherited my grandpa's, uh, butcher boy bandsaw. Um, it'd been sitting in a, in a shed at my uncle's for about 30 years. And so I went and grabbed it last fall and got it over and spruced it up, put a new, you know, my father-in-law helped me put a new switch on it, wire a new switch on it. And, uh, had a, one of those electrocution special switches. So we got that fixed up and up and running. And man, that thing is nice for cutting moose, you know, anymore. If I don't have, if I, if I never have to cut another backstrap off a spine of a moose, I'll be totally happy. Cause if you can get that whole, just that whole spine in there intact with backstraps and tenderloins, man, it makes some fantastic T-bones. Well, I can imagine. I, you know, that's one thing I've always wanted to do it where I'm at, you know, it's just that it's never going to make weight cut, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, when you're flying out, you definitely have a whole new set of problems, but when I'm, can either, like, get the, get it right by the boat or get it, get it hauled to the boat or, uh, or fork it with a bobcat, <laughs> that's, that's a totally different story, but, uh, well, yeah. I, I tell you, I tell you, we had something different happen to us this year. You know, it wasn't hunting, it was fishing. Uh, you know, a lake we normally fly into is, you know, traditionally it's just got a lot of pike in it. You yeah. Know? I, I don't know if it had a, uh, if it had some kind of algae bloom or something killed the oxygen in the lake, but that lake was absolutely pike free this, this last season that we hunted it. And, you know, it wasn't nothing fishing game did because there's nobody else there to, yeah. you know, to have any kind to clean the lake out and there's no salmon run but man we couldn't we couldn't catch a a pike to save our you know what and and uh you know we traditionally you know we are you know we usually have a couple of pike meals and then we have some uh couple of grayling meals while we're out fishing too and, and yeah. we kind of packed accordingly and you know it was it was a good thing we killed that moose uh early this year because we ate lots of tenderloin yeah yeah that's kind of that that's pretty interesting because you don't hear about that happening too often i mean you know there's a lot of unnamed lakes out there that i'm sure go through all sort of stuff but pike are about the hardiest dang fish i could imagine up here you know to see to see them get wiped out that's pretty weird it shocked me and you know because we we uh we had great pike fishing uh you know last season and so i mean we went in with a bunch of pike gear and you know, we were planning on having some fun and doing some pike fishing, and it, it, no, it didn't happen this year. We we ended up having to get the hunting moose so we could, uh, you know, have some tenderloin instead of fish fries. Yeah, it, remind, it reminds me one time, I was, I don't know, I was probably 18 or so, myself and my cousin and, or my cousin's husband and his brother came along. We, we went on a little, you know, weekend trip with a Zodiac down to a spot, and got down there and uh it was a kind of a the trip turned into a big time shit show but uh you know we got we got down to where we were you know gonna go pike fishing and right off the bat one of us caught i don't know you know a 25 inch pike or so should i keep it said no i'll throw it back we'll catch plenty that was the only damn fish we caught (laughs) and we get back to camp that night and i'm you know cooking up a mountain house and i look at look at my cousin said you know Where's your dinner? He said, it's in the river. He just brought butter and tinfoil. Really? Yeah, so that was a, <laughs> that was a short-lived trip to, that I'll, I mean, I'll never forget that one. But, man, talk about lessons you learn. 
I tell you what, man, I, we, we always have just a little bit of cooking oil and, and a little bit of fish frying and, uh, you know, a whole thing of Cajun's choice, Cajun's Creole seasoning with us because, uh, yeah. you know, it's, we, we always count on having a fish fryer too while we're out there. And I tell you what, man, it it's pretty tough to beat fresh pike or fresh grayling fried, you know. In oh, the yeah. Yeah, it seems like to me those grayling, I really like them if you can, you basically yank them out of the water, scale them, gut them, and throw them in the pan. Yeah. Enough. Uh, you know, I've never eaten them any other way. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people say they just don't keep, you know, they get mushy. And I've, I've never tried them, just mostly never tried them because, you know, where I'm fishing for them at is, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're 10 days from a refrigerator and it's not oh, like yeah. you carry a bunch of grayling around with you, so. <clears throat> yeah, no, and that's kind of the, it's been it's been actually years since I've eaten a grayling, but that's my, I mean, to say that you say they don't keep, like, it's no exaggeration if you, you leave them on a stringer for a couple hours. They get re- they get really mushy really fast. But if you get them when they're super fresh, they fry up really nice. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, we typically do. I kind of heard that too. So, you know, I, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, I keep them live on the stringer. I do everything I can to, to oh, handle yeah. them real nice. Put the stringer in them, uh, and and you know, they stay live for a long time if you if you're pretty careful with yeah. them. Yeah. And then I bleed them out when I'm ready to eat them. Oh, man, the things are good. Nice, yeah. You like that Creole. Well, naturally, you like that Creole seasoning being being a Louisiana man, right? Oh, yeah. I hope to tell you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just funny. Cause, you know, I, I've lived in Alaska for you know over 31 years now. And, uh, you know, I can talk to somebody on the phone for five minutes, and you'd think I never left the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, you know, I, you know, my in-laws are from Wisconsin, and uh, yeah, my wife. I could definitely when she she took she took uh, took our kids back there this past spring. Was it or the spring before? It was the spring before I think, because I was goat hunting on Kodiak, ironically. Um, but yeah, come back from that trip, you know, talking to the relatives, and, and she definitely got got pretty Wisconsiny on me there for a couple of days. But I'm, so, I, you know, I, I, you know, not to rag on her because I'm even worse. Like her Wisconsininess has rubbed off on me. So like I, you know, shoot, I've never been to Wisconsin in my life, and I start, you know, sometimes I'll catch myself saying something and just like roll my eyes. You got to be kidding me. Yeah, I could do that too. Like in the, you know, in the village, you know, I'll get to, I'll get to talking to some of the local guys. You know, and they all have their own way of speaking and stuff, and. No, I'll get on a roll and start speaking like them, and I gotta be careful when I get outside of it because yeah, you know. Then people think uh, you're it, being racist or something because you're. Yeah, people you, th- people think you're actually you know making fun of them and yeah. stuff, and you know, I, I you know I I hate that you know I damn sure wouldn't do that, and you know, I just kind of hate that that people would think that way. But you know, you get there, you're joking around with them, and you're with people you know and you like and you're friendly with. You, yeah, you, you know, you can say things. I can say things to you, you could say things to me, and we both know we're kidding. Yeah, oh, yeah. Somebody standing 20 feet away might think we're insulting each other, Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. It's, yeah, it's it's a funny thing. I don't know, you know, I... Hello? Hey, there you are. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that technical difficulty was on my end. <laughs> I'm working, I'm working with some, <laughs> pretty, some pretty sketchy equipment, so... Yeah, 
who who knows? I I've had problem. I had some problems with the phone earlier today, so I didn't know if it was you or me. This morning I couldn't get a, uh, a dial tone for nothing. So oh yeah, that's yeah weird technology. But yeah, I, I yeah. think I was talking. I think that it's funny. I know some people more than others. I'm I'm definitely one of them that tends to <clears throat> you get in another place and everybody's talking with the same accent or whatever. I'll start kind of picking up on that whether you know, it all start adapting it subconsciously whether it whether that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't know but it happens yeah yeah it's the way it is sometimes you know so but yeah yeah uh you know we at towards the end of the year this year I actually uh got into uh doing a little air guide down in the alaska peninsula that was a lot of fun yeah that's one thing I, I wanted to ask you about how that trip went i remember you you know beforehand and then let me know that you just you just got back from it. How how'd it go? Anything anything crazy? Some big bears? You know, obviously, anytime you go do that stuff, it's a pretty good adventure. Yeah, you know, it actually was a lot of fun. It was uh, it, it was it was a little weird though because um, when I was in there during moose season, I was seeing you know you know fourteen sixteen bears a day. Yeah, and then uh, by the time bear season opened up, and we were in the upper end of Unit Nine A. And it's pretty thick there, so it's kind of it's harder to glass than like where the places you and I have hunted down on the lower peninsula. I know you and I have hunted a couple of the same days yeah. in the past, and you know you get down there, and you know if they're up high, you can still see them. You know, yeah. And where we were at, you know, it's kind of like down on the Kenai Peninsula. You know, the grass is eight foot tall, you know, six foot tall, and you know unless they're crossing an opening, you're not going to see them as well. So yeah, we I did manage to. Uh, I ended up having uh, three different clients in nine days, and I, I got two of them on bears. So nice, and uh, you know they you know they took uh, decent bears, and they were happy with them. But you know, not nothing super big. I, and I just take the fall hunts like that, you know, in that area, but just because you know you where I was at, you just didn't have that. you couldn't see if they were up on bears or up digging roots or. You know whatever they were feeding on, you just you just couldn't see them. You know? Yeah, fall time. It's like unless unless you got a real you know a pretty productive stream with some silvers hitting it, you know, and later in the season too. You know, a lot of times those silvers are kind of finished out. If there's not, you know, if there's if there's a good fish stream, you can usually kind of inventory what's hanging around if you can watch it for a couple three days. But you know, if if you're really limited on what you can see and there's no big attraction, you kind of gotta kind of got to take what you can get if it's good enough yeah and and that's kind of what we did i mean i covered a lot of ground and uh you know we hunted different spots and you know, it, you know tons of sign and i mean you could see where they've been there a few weeks ago i knew it had been there a few weeks ago because you know and i seen two really good bears during, during moose season you know both up well over nine foot you know one of them probably pushing 10 you know yeah and uh i mean they're great great bears in there it's just uh you know they were down on the coastline, and you know when they, you know, we did cut a few tracks that were huge tracks where they probably either walked at night or, you know, you got twenty four hours in a day, and you know it takes them most of the time. You know, they're there ten, fifteen minutes, maybe an hour if you're lucky. You know, yeah, when they're yeah. walking from point A to point B, and it, you know, don't don't do you any good to sit there the rest of them twenty three hours in a day. If you weren't there that one hour they were there, you. To see him, you know? Oh yeah, well, all they got to do, you know, they'll sleep a lot or what, you know. I mean, they're obviously kind of gearing up for gearing up for winter, but you know, if they all they got to do is lay down in, under an alder or something, and you're never going to see them. 
Yeah, they, they but, could be but fi- you know, they I could mean, be fifteen feet away from where you could see them, and it doesn't do you any good. Yeah, and you know, uh, you know where I was at. The uh, you know the weather was good. The clients were great. Uh, you know, the outfitter had a lot of good gear, and you know, he had, he had good food and camp, and you know, the locations were really good for setting up in glass in a big area and beautiful country. And you know, hey, the bears didn't cooperate, but you know, it was still a great hunt, and you know. Yeah. All three of you guys, uh, you know, really enjoyed themselves and, you know, had a great experience. And, you know, all three of them were fairly complimentary that, you know, they, I, you know, at least made sure that, that you know, they, they, they walked away knowing that they gave it everything they had, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, we, I was out there, you know, well before daylight. And, you know, I typically, you know, you know, if, if they weren't rolling with me, I'd have you know something for breakfast set up for them and some coffee when they when they got out of the tent, and I was up glassing somewhere for them to join me whenever yeah. uh, whenever they were done. So, and you know, we hunted hard, hunted dark to dark, and you know, we 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 got two bears and uh, yeah, had a great hunt. So nice. How was the you know, weather? I, How was the weather for you? Uh, the weather was awesome. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, it was cool. I tell you one thing, I I did that. Was, that was pretty funny, and you know maybe maybe borderline kind of goofy, but you know I that jet sled, and I figured hell, I'll just wait till the tide comes in a little bit, and I'll just you know drop the bear hide in that jet sled and walk it out. You know, yeah, sounds good. That jet sled us, uh, you know, float you know 150 pounds of bear hide pretty easy. You know, we, we didn't have one that big, but you know, but but that mud on that and the bays was super slick and there was lots of rocks in there and I didn't and, and when that tide came in it was like wasn't like walking a river where you can see where you're walking, you know, it wasn't yeah. you know poor visibility. So it was uh it was a little bit of a law and hardy show getting that bear out of there. But you know, it all worked good. Nobody nobody got hurt and the bear never got wet, so uh, nice. I got a little wet. But yeah, it actually worked pretty slick. It was just the walking was horrible. Yeah. And then uh you know, we had a 20-foot tide. We got to one spot. You, you know how it is down at Peninsula. You got those cliffs, you know. Yep. And, uh, you know, I figured as long as I stay on the edge, I, you know, I'd be good. I could walk around them in my chest weight is wrong. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Did I got get... a little video clip I'll, I'll show you when, the, when you come down. It's pretty funny, but we ended up waiting for the tide to turn around and drop a little bit before we got all the way into camp. So. Yeah, there's a spot where me and my buddy Steve had been brown bear hunting, and I know we've talked about this, and he said the same thing happened the last time he was down there. You know, you cross some of those cliffs to get to another valley, you know, or part of a bay, and then that tide pins you over there, and you think you can get through, and you end up getting pinned up against the cliffs for three or four hours waiting for the tide to go out. When we did it, it was miserable, Jake. One o'clock in the morning, snowing, rocks falling off the cliff, and just garbage yeah. like that. It was it was not not a lot of fun at the time, but yeah, I can relate. That's that's the cool thing about the GPS is too. You know, you can get yeah you know, current and local tide data when you're out there. So you know, like usually when I hunt in the peninsula, you know, I I you know I'm watching that tide all the time just to see what it is. You know, before I go into some place and. Particularly if, I, if I'm dependent on that tide to either float me out or to go dry so I can walk out. Oh, yeah. It's it's amazing the, the difference it makes. You know, even like on any kind of hunt, really, you know, you can, knowing ahead of time, being able to either get the weather on your inReach or, or 
you know, with a sat phone call and, and keeping up to date weather, man, you know, you can plan plan your next few days so much better. It seems like. Yeah, I, I tell you, I've, I've owned a uh, a sat phone for since since nine one one. Actually, I you know nine eleven. I yeah, I was where you were when it happened, but I was actually on on a strip with a sheep waiting to get picked up. Oh. And, yeah, I was, you know, up in the Chugiax, and that, you know, the pilot come flying in, and he jumped out of the plane. He says, "He says, get your stuff for going to war, you know, get, you know." And he's like, he's all fired up, you know. And I'm thinking, yeah. man, he been drinking too much coffee or something. Yeah. You know, what's wrong with you? <laughs> but I, but I can tell he meant, you know, he's, you know, get your stuff in the plane, you know. And so we, you know, we were packed up waiting on him anyway, and yeah. we threw everything in the plane and took off out of there, and we were actually in the air when he when he called, you know. For all the for all the fights to shut down and set down, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I and, and I'd had a little incident uh, like two weeks before on another hunt where we got in and we couldn't get in someplace and I I couldn't get a a car to pick me up and move me and uh, yeah he started telling me about a sat phone and and then like two weeks later you know when that nine eleven stuff happened the uh, you know it ended up being just perfect you know if it had been another. 30 minutes, I would have been sitting there for three days, sunshine, yeah. not knowing wondering, on, you know. Yeah, wondering what what the heck happened, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Uh, and I've owned... No, go ahead. I, was, I bought a sat phone after that, and, I, and I've owned one ever since. And, you know, I, I thought it was, just, you know, the quickest thing in town until Garmin came out with that end reach, and I'll tell you what. Yeah, that's you know, really... For me, that, really slick yeah that's really changed things i mean i'm the same way i carried a sat phone or you know i used to rent one and then got one you know one of the older you know kind of iridium brick ones that i'd carry that around cheap hunting and you know just to to check in with the wife and you can you know talk to your air service if you're back earlier or kind of let them know if the weather's good or bad whatever but that that in reach you know two-way texting was a big deal you know the spot the spot was kind of the first one that was like a real affordable one, but it that it was just one way you could you know if you remember if you seen them you could sit you could send just pre written messages, you know along with waypoints and it did have the SOS yeah. thing, but you never really knew if it was actually working and uh, you know I you hear horror stories I don't know how reliable they were of them not working, but that two way stuff and I actually I just got done checking out a bunch of these device or not a bunch several of these devices for um <clears throat> for a magazine article i'm uh, working on I actually got it turned in but you know they, i bought the inreach when garmin bought delorme you know there's the old delorme one which was kind of really changed the game and then the inreach it's the gps too and i i got that and then uh i have i you know i got to check out the inreach mini which is I think pretty dang slick for backpack hunting and whatnot where and I think any hunt that you don't need to use your GPS all the time, but you, if you can pull it up on your phone and look at the map and you have the communication, it's pretty sweet. And, uh, and then I got to check out the, uh, it's Garmin's like GPS map 66. I, which my buddy Steve, I haven't got a chance to talk to him about it yet. My buddy Steve said he had some issues with it. Um, it is a little bit trickier to like sync your phone. Any of these other device, you know, like the old InReach, you just as long as you have that app, you can sync your phone to it. This one uses a different app, and um, mm. 
but it's more of a like a dedicated GPS, like you could run in your boat or stick on your your four wheeler or whatever. You know that you're going to actually yeah. use, you you want to use the GPS functions more. And uh, what the heck else? There was an, there was two other ones. Like Iridium has this thing called an Iridium Go, and I, I don't know how long it's been out, but I finally got my hands on one. It's like just a little box. It's maybe comparable to the size of yeah, a, you would. of a sat phone, but it basically turns your smartphone into a sat phone. Just kind of it it connects to the satellite and then relays. You know, so you can voice call or text or check email or whatever and. Yeah, I think it also has a feature, like a hub feature, too, where you can have, like, you know, multiple people in your group using it as yeah. well. I'm, I, I'm 100% confident in that. But uh, I think you're right. You know, I think I, you're I, right. I have, but, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've always been afraid of, you know, I'm afraid of, is that, you know, I'm, when you're doing a real long trip, you're always worried about batteries, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. It's something about me. I don't know if it's mental or what, but, you know, I've... I, by God, I'm not going to use my emergency device for a GPS. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll use it for a map when I need it. You know, yeah. But I'm not going to use it like I would use a normal GPS. You know, walking and 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 using it. You know, I I still carry a GPS and I use that when I'm when I'm really looking to use a GPS and I kind of do everything I can to save that battery on that enrich room. For oh yeah, it, so. and that's some. You know, I mean, I don't know. A lot of us kids, I think, yeah, I've been, I take a, a probably an excessive amount of, of spare, you know, re, uh, battery, battery packs basically to recharge stuff. But those, if you use them, you know, yeah, if you're using the GPS function all day, it's going to, it's going to drain stuff down. But, uh, those, I'm pretty impressed with how, how well those inReach batteries worked. And another one I just remembered, uh, Spot that, you know, came out with that original one. Um, I got to mess around with, they have one called a Spot X that they, I think they just came out with it. Um, and it's actually a two-way, like, text communicator. It's not a GPS, but it sends your coordinates and whatnot. And I actually, mm-hmm. I took that one, I took that one in the InReach Mini to South Africa, um, just to, like, for shits and grins to see how they worked over there. And they seem to work just fine. So, um, I know yeah. the, I know the Spot That's X for... Awesome. The Spot X is a lot is a lot more is a lot cheaper than than like a full on Garmin inReach, and they at least for like your basic communication functions, they seem to work just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I've never tried it, but I'm totally satisfied with inReach. And like you said, as far as battery life's concerned, you know, I've been really impressed with the uh, you know with the battery life in them and stuff. And you know, for me, it's probably more mental than anything. Yeah, you know. I mean, a lot of places I'm hunting now, I don't really use a GPS that much anyway because, you know, I kind of know the area. And, you know, most of them, you know, even if it's fogged in, you, you, you could still figure your way out to get out of there, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. Not like Kodiak. No. <laughs> How about you? But on, on Kodiak, I'm running a, I'm, you know, I'm running a, you know, I'm running a blue line the whole time I'm out there because, you know, I, I, I you know, I was in that, on that knife blade ridge. Uh, that you and I hunted on hunting mountain yep. goats one time, and I had to get to the lake, you know, where yep. our camp was, and we were actually hiking back and forth from that lake. And uh, that, you know, it's not really fog; it's just that weather comes in, the clouds lay down on you. Oh yeah, you could you could very easily find yourself in a bad spot. <laughs> you know, and it you know it takes about three hours, you know, to get from the other side of that lake around the lake and then up in there where you go to that two and a half, three hours of walking, yep. you know? Yep, 
and uh, and and uh, you know we we were in there and, and some clouds laid down and it, it took us almost seven hours to get out and yeah. out, and that was with the DPS running the blue line. Oh yeah, yeah, that stuff could get very tricky. I mean, that's the most the times I use it the most are usually sheep hunting when it, it gets socked in and you gotta like you're you're carrying a heavy backpack out on a ri- running a ridge line. Because you'd think it's it's fairly straightforward yep. running run a ridge line to stay on top of the ridge, but not necessarily. You know, it's you know it's it's very easy to go go down too far and miss a saddle. You know, off the wrong side. Yep. I've even before I've gone completely. You know, you're kind of side hilling around a spot, hoping you know see right where I go down into the next saddle, and completely walk all the way around a, a peak. You know, when it's too socked in to really see the sun to you know, you just got you lose all your sense of direction and uh i mean yeah. I literally have walked around in circles around a little knob on a, on a ridge line before so yeah usually i don't i don't screw around when when it's like that and i've got to cover country especially when i'm loaded heavy and can't really afford to or do not don't want to expend any extra energy you know i'll i'll keep that gps zoomed right in i kind of i had to do that when after my tent blew up and um, got blasted off the mountain this year, you know, for about an hour and a half, two hours, I had to keep checking my GPS to make sure. And it wasn't a, you know, in the in the light of day, it's not a difficult ridge to get down. But, man, I mean, there's some sketchy spots. And, you know, when the wind's blowing 50, gusting to 60, 70, 80, whatever miles an hour, it's horrible. You know, and you can't see and you can't, you know, you got... You know, you, you want to avoid the rock piles, and and it can become a very critical tool to have. I, I kind of yeah. di- kind of digressed a little bit there, but yeah. Well, I, you know, it just like some of those little some of those little dips you go through. You know, you know they're twenty thirty feet deep. You know, you're just down and back up. You know, you, when you walk, I call them little whoop you doos. You know, figures yeah. coming off the mountain ridges and stuff, and you know it. Yeah, you know, maybe thirty feet deep, broad daylight is nothing, you know. And you get in that deep cloud, you feel like you're dropping down three hundred feet, and that stuff, you know, yeah. everything changes different. So, but yeah, it's you know, it's all good. I guarantee you one thing: it's it's. Imagine, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in the Wrangles or not. When you you know you're on the side of a mountain, you got all this technical gear and all this, you know, mountain house freeze dried and you know, ultralight synthetic stuff, and then you. You come across like an old cabin, you know. You got the foundation there, and they've got a whole dugout back, and they've got five gallon tin cans that are left over from, you know, the early nineteen hundreds, yeah. however long it was. Like and, logs that they hauled and, there. <laughs> what was it? What was it like back then? You know, to have to you, know, you imagine packing all that stuff in there. Oh no, guys are way guys are way tougher than I am. That's for sure. Well, you know, like day one on a fifteen day hunt, you're not nearly as tough as day fifteen. Yeah, know? that's that's the truth. <laughs> so, yeah, you been doing it three sixty five would just naturally make you tough. Yeah, you know, yeah, those guys just hard, hard, hard. You know, and that that's just all. A lot of those folks knew life was harder back then. There's no no bones yeah. about it. Just getting by, but uh, yeah. Well, anyway, we're rolling along pretty good i better let you get to bed i know it's it's about past my bedtime but i appreciate you hanging in there you know we had to had to postpone on you so i could stuff sausage all day 
Hey, no problem, man. Always great talking to you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, great talking to you, and uh, I'm all looking forward to next time. And uh, yeah, if, if I don't if I don't see you before, then we'll plan on seeing you in February, huh? Sounds good, man. Looking forward to it. All right, thanks, Lewis. And uh, if you guys uh, enjoy the podcast, um, appreciate it if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. And um, this shit does cost money, so uh, if if you feel feel like you feel like you can and you want to support the podcast, you can do that at uh, patreon.com slash tundertalk. And I certainly appreciate it; it means a lot. And uh, <clears throat> I want to continue to doing this, and uh, and ultimately you know do more of it so every little bit helps thanks guys and if you have any comments or questions you can email podcast at tundertalkak.com i can't remember if i already said that it's late and i'm going to bed good night